This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Hair loss can be traumatic for people. The current stress of the pandemic may be contributing to it. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Sophia Kogan, co-founder and chief medical advisor of Nutrafol, a hair wellness company about the key factors tied to hair loss and what we can do about it. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Kogan. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Is hair loss more common now or is always been, but it's more openly discussed during this time? There is definitely a rise most recently in terms of hair loss and thinning and mostly shedding within the last year or so. This rise is likely attributed to stress and also post-stress of the pandemic, so we're really facing unprecedented times. Also stress with the economy, just with everything that is going on. It was kind of anticipated that this may increase the amount of people that are experiencing hair loss and shedding, and in fact, typically within the last year. What are the key contributors to male hair loss versus female hair loss? Oh, that's a great question. We, in our company, we did a lot of research into the, we have a more holistic approach. And I've written several papers together with other luminaries and and big key opinion leaders in dermatology about this. But the reality is that most hair loss and thinning is is actually multifactorial. Whether you're a man or a woman, it's never just going to be genetic and it's never just going to be environmental. It is always going to be a combination. There are studies now that show that even identical twins can have a sooner manifestation of hair loss because they are exposed to extra stress or some sort of specific environmental triggers. It's different. It's different for men and women. In men, you have much more of a genetic and component of the hormonal aspect of the dihydrotestosterone, which is a more potent form of testosterone. And in women, I believe that it is a variety of hormones that are contributing to this, as well as stress, I think, for women is a big, big, huge factor. Women's bodies are more tend to be more sensitive to that, to the hormone, the shift in hormones due to stress and due to rises in cortisol, etc. But in reality, it is totally multifactorial. I often say that genes load the gun and environment pulls the triggers. You have the immune system involved. You have our aging component, oxidative stress that is contributing to this. As a result of aging, environmental exposure, you have, like I said, the variety of hormones that are involved in this and how they change and shift throughout time, especially for women, because women really do have very particular stages in life that they go through hormonally. And nutrition, microbiome plays a role as well. There's a lot of things that are going to be playing a role in both types of hair thinning and the contribution of these factors is going to be different for men and for women. If someone is experiencing hair loss, what would you recommend the first step they do? 
I think not all hair loss is the same, obviously. I think it really does depend. You're suddenly experiencing like stress-related shedding and thinning, as you know it. You're going to want to manage that stress. But at the same time, I would say that it's important to know what type of hair thinning the person is experiencing in order to know what interventions you would do. And often enough, we just have to get down to the root of the problem, to the root causes, as well as I think in many cases, you do want to talk to a doctor and find out if there is anything else contributing to this. My understanding is that your thyroid could affect hair loss as well? Oh, 100%, yeah. Follicles are very, 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 very fine-tuned mechanism of cycling. As we know, follicles, they cycle, they have a biological clock. They consistently cycle on a regular basis. And the thing is that the biological clock is impacted by a variety of factors. That really tight mechanism of how they're functioning is very sensitive. And one of the things it's sensitive to is the thyroid hormone. When those are not in balance, the follicles are affected. Do hair loss factors change over time as we age? Yes, 100% they do. For instance, a lot of women experience hair loss and thinning during their menopausal transition. It actually starts usually earlier than that. During perimenopause, they start to see that their hair is changing. As we age, not only does there, there's something called senescent alopecia or basically hair that's not, you don't lose as much hair, but you thin. Obviously, like aging, oxidative stress is going to impact everybody, right? But in addition to that, you do have these transitional phases. And I think for women specifically, the menopausal transition really plays a big role. You have mentioned that ingredients in hair products can affect your hair. Can you talk about that? So you have to be really careful. The truth is that we have a live portion of our hair and we have a dead portion of our hair. The live portion of our hair, the thing that's alive is the follicle, right? And while the hair is attached to it, there's a little piece of the hair that's still alive as well. The other portion of the hair that we actually look at and see on the outside is dead. Affecting that when you use chemicals and products and that are not that damaging to the hair itself, it can cause breakage and it can cause split ends and it can cause other problems. But the main thing that I talk about is that if you're using products with specific ingredients like SLS or parabens, etc., that you can actually impact scalp health as well. So that's the alive portion of the follicle in, in the scalp. That can actually create more oxidative stress and more inflammation in the scalp. So we want to be really careful about what we put on the outside as much as we do about what we put on the inside. It sounds like the quality of your shampoo, your conditioners, and your hair products do matter. I would say that it matters in the context of, like I often say, do no harm. The best thing you can do is to make sure that when you check the ingredients that the shampoo or conditioner or products that you're using, that they don't have the harsh chemicals in them. I'm not a person who's going to say, of course, there's things that we do to our hair that are bad. Like coloring hair is bad too, but I color my hair and there's definitely <laughs> risks that you take with doing certain things. But I think that doing no harm, at least with the product that we put in is part of just kind of mitigating that extra environmental stress that you're going to cause on the scalp. What about foods that can improve the quality of your hair? My understanding is that if you're low on protein, you'll show up in your hair. Are there certain foods that are better for your hair or it will improve the quality versus decrease in certain nutrients that will affect your hair? 
eating a whole food diet really is what's the most important. So it's more about what you don't want to eat, but what you do want to eat. Minimizing sugar, for instance, it's going to improve your insulin balance in the body. And I said, we know that insulin balance in the body is going to it actually impact hair follicles as well. Definitely don't want to be eating processed sugars and pesticides and chemicals. Trying to eat organic is going to be really good. But you're right about protein. Protein is very important because that's how we build the actual hair fiber. And that's going to be important. And people who don't get enough protein often enough have a nutritional deficiency. I say also like omegas, eating enough food with high omega-6 would be really helpful for you too, just for the quality too. I think it's not about choosing foods that are specifically good because all foods are good that are whole and not processed. As long as you have a balanced diet and you're not eating too much processed sugar or too many processed foods in general, then you're in a good place. What about being on a plant-based diet? Do you think the protein then becomes a concern? I'm of the opinion. I don't actually think that any particular diet is the best diet ever. I think every single individual has a very different need. I think that those people who are on a plant-based diet and have a very balanced diet are good. It's the people who have a plant-based diet who eat a lot of pasta that's not good. And, and I really think that we are incredibly individual in our biochemistry that no one diet could be the best diet for everybody. That's my personal opinion. There seems to be a lot of different solutions on the market for hair loss today. What is your take on the following solutions? The first one being finasteride. Well, that's a drug and the most common name for that is propecia. It is very frequently used by physicians in terms of treating especially male pattern hair loss, which is in men. In women, you can't really use it. Well, it's not actually FDA approved for women, but some doctors do use it in the postmenopausal period because it could be teratogenic or otherwise detrimental to the fetus if somebody gets pregnant and is taking it. It's not used in women, and if it is, it's usually used later in life. Physicians tend to use it quite frequently, although lately there's been some controversies around post-canestride syndrome, which is permanent sexual dysfunction in men. A lot of men are aware of that, and each person really has to make that decision on their own with their physician. What about minoxidil? Similar situation, except that it's FDA approved for both men and women. And it is a medication that it is used topically. And it is quite frequently used in women because it used to be the only solution for women available. And of course, now we have a lot more options. Again, it's a, it's a personal decision. One of, one of the things that happens sometimes with minoxidil is that there's something called chemical dependence. If you start it, it, it works. If you want to continue it though for the rest of your life, because if you take it off, the hair that was saved could fall out. Yeah, it's just interesting to get your take on these various solutions are out there because not everyone understands them when they see these type of options. The next one, which I'm not familiar with, is platelet-rich plasma hair growth treatment. Yeah, PRP is something that you would have to go to the doctor for because it is blood that is drawn. So they draw blood from you, spin it in a centrifuge, and the platelets are a part of our of our plasma. And so it concentrates the platelets. So it's actually nice that it is coming from you, right? The treatment comes from us. I like that idea because it's not extra that you're putting into your body. It is actually just taking your own cells and you're putting them back in. It's very frequently used 
by physicians, usually in conjunction with other therapies, or on their on its own. And it has some studies that have shown benefits. Again, it's one of those things that you have to kind of weigh everything together because it's it's a pretty pricey investment, and you have to do it a few times. It, it's almost like you have to do it every, but a lot of times you have to come back to the doctor monthly to do the the injection. Could be painful. Definitely something that's out there that could be used to combat hair loss. LED lights. Mm-hmm. So LED lights will be used in conjunction with other therapies. At least there are some studies that say that they do work. And I believe one of the LED products is actually FDA approved. But the way it works is that it works on the mitochondria. So it improves metabolism. Our follicles are very, 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 like they need a lot of energy to cycle. They're almost second to the bone marrow. So it's, it's a constant process of cycling for them, energy producing machines in our body. And when it comes to these multitude of therapies, a lot of times what doctors do is that they like to use them together. And I think it's almost like a stepwise approach sometimes, but it's always a conversation as to how much you want to do, what do you want to do first. But a lot of times they do get combined. But implants are mostly men who are doing it, right? Well, women is more of a diffuse thinning that they experience. Well... That's a whole different ball game. It's a long conversation, but I will say that we used to say that transplants are mostly for men, but that's not true anymore. So there's a lot of doctors. So it really depends on what doctor you're working with because you want to find a doctor that definitely has a practice that has women that they have, right? Like used to be, right? It used to be mostly men. But we are far, 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 far away from that time beyond the men's hair club. It's like it's definitely something that women can get, but not in every case. So I think it's very important. It's always a case-by-case basis. And you're right to say that there is a difference because in men, the hair loss is patterned. And so they have a lot more of the donor hairs available, whereas women, it's more diffused. So you have less of the donor available. But... I think that if you go to the right physician, they can give you a really excellent prognosis as to whether or not it can or cannot be done. And the way that they do it, FUE, follicular unit extraction versus FUT, follicular unit transfer, with FUE, I believe that there's just a lot of evolution that's happening in this field. So I think it's definitely not just for men anymore. You and your co-founders, as I understand it, went through hair loss. Can you describe what each situation was like? I started thinning when I was very young because I had an eating disorder in, when I was like 18. And so that really kind of set off my genetic predisposition. I am genetically predisposed and not everybody's going to be as affected. But very frequently when our bodies are not in great shape, that's what happens. Hair gets affected because we know that when the body is stressed in any kind of way, it's going to pull resources internally and hair becomes a non-essential item. So it kind of really just lets go of the hair as we need the energy for the vital organs to survive. So you can imagine when you have a nutritional deficiency like that, that could be a big shock to the system. And then subsequently, when I recovered from that, it really was very stepwise for me. I lost a lot of hair in med school. I lost a lot of hair in residency. Every time I had a stressful period of time, I was shedding and losing hair. So my hair thinning 
again, not everyone is going to have that because I always say it's environment and genes, but I am predisposed to that. And my hair is very sensitive to stress. Even when the pandemic hit, I automatically knew that I was going to get affected and I started shedding. So that's really my story. And when I started to really dive deep into this, as I left my residency and joined my two business partners for also health reasons and personal reasons, really burnt out, we started diving deep into like the root causes of what's happening because a lot of time you just put a band-aid on a situation and that's it. But if you get down to the problem, you can really rebalance your body and promote healthier hair growth. Your co-founders have different kind of hair loss, correct? Well, they're men. (laughs) They obviously have a different body and different factors that are contributing. But it is still indeed multifactorial. So with my one of my business partners, for him, the biggest trigger was thyroid cancer. And he's vocal about it. So he went through that and a very stressful period of time. And after that, the hair just started to thin more and it didn't really come back. He started introducing the plants and the herbs and the botanicals that we're using. And a lot of times it's really for men not about completely bringing it back, but to halt the progression. Because in men, once that starts, and actually in women as well, it's kind of a progressive process that you don't, that it's much easier to catch up with when it's early than it is when it's late. And it's so really, it's about not prevention, but almost like sustaining the hair that you have. And for my other business partner, for him, he started thinning really early and he was both a model and an engineer. And for him, his modeling career started to suffer. And he's actually started taking one of the prescription medications and he started having sexual side effects. Again, he's very open about it. I'm not, I'm not actually saying something I'm not supposed to. And for him, it was really a 10 year battle of like, do I stay on this? And when he stays on this, his hair is fine. He gets off or he stays on it and he has issues in the bedroom and then he gets off of it and his hair starts to shed and then it was really a very touchy subject for him and then when he realized that there was something that he needed to do for himself and he started talking to my other business partner and that's how the idea came around because all of us really had our own unique stories of not finding the solutions that we wanted specifically for us. It is interesting how each of your experiences is so different. The three of you decided to come together and develop Nutrafol. Can you talk about what it is and how it works? Yeah, Nutrafol is a completely natural product and it is a supplement. It's an ingestible, so you take it orally. We have a patent on actually the complex that we use. It's a complex of botanicals, the botanical extract that are multi-targeting. They target a variety of different factors that I just have spoken about. And the ingredients like curcumin, they're incredible for immune regulation. For instance, we have stress adaptogens that are that are going to help you rebalance your stress hormones, as well as BHD inhibitors or hormone rebalancers and support for that oxidative component as well, super antioxidants. Synergen complex, which is the complex slightly modified for men and women, and now we have a new product that just has just recently had a publication about it and our clinical study that showed efficacy as well. And specifically menopausal women, we actually have three core formulas that are very targeted to the individual biological needs of the person who's using us. And we've been around for, for quite a bit already, 
And a lot of physicians use us. That's really kind of how a lot of doctors talk about they know how to use the product in conjunction with the therapies or alone. And what kind of sets us apart a lot of we have clinical data. The supplement industry is unfortunately not regulated, unlike the pharmaceutical industry. There's really no regulation for us. It was really important to create something that where we can self-regulate. We made sure that we have standardized ingredients that have specific percentages of the bioactive components and they're completely standardized across all batches, right, that you won't suddenly get that difference. They're very clean ingredients that are products that are clinically tested. Very proud of the latest clinical study as well, specifically because it is on perimenopausal, menopausal, and postmenopausal women, which no supplement has ever tested before. The scientific studies have been limited to women, correct? Does it work equally well on men then? We actually do have clinical studies on men. Oh, great. I only <laughs> saw the, the, the ones for men. It's not published yet. Okay. <laughs> the data is there, but it's, the reason you haven't seen it is because it's not published yet. That's going to be coming out shortly. Is it hard to stay on a regimen given they're pretty big pills and high dosage that you have to take four each day? So I will say this, the pill size is pretty general and I take a, I'm a biohacking person so I take a lot of supplements and I can tell you that all my supplements, generally speaking, are bigger than ours. But I do believe that habit formation is part of incorporating this product into your daily routine. I do think that it just depends on how motivated you are. The reason why it's four is because we use clinically efficacious dosages. Much as we wanted to make it less, the integrity behind the product just didn't let us do that. In order to make this easier for you, my favorite trick is to just kind of time it to a meal because you have to take it with food anyway. And I think that any habit, they say, you add it to an old habit. Like if you want to do something in the morning time, it's brushing your teeth because you do that anyway, so you don't forget. I think that's a really good way of doing it. And I think for people who are very challenged about this, they can kind of split up the dosages. But the dosage appears really high when I'm reading the label for each ingredient. Should there be testing for any one ingredient over time? Because, for example, I'd read that saw palmetto could lead to possible liver or pancreas issues. There's a lot of different things you're going to find on the internet. And depending on who is writing that, you're going to get a different opinion. People who take humongous dosages of something, and that could be an adverse event, the amount of supplement in our product is clinically effective and safe. And again, a lot of the things that you're going to read are based on in vitro studies or in animal studies where they just overdose the animals and then you get a certain effect. I think Hippocrates said it right, where it says anything could be a medication or a toxin. It depends on the dose that you're actually taking. And that could go for anything. Anything good could also be bad in high dosages. It's really helpful to understand because these questions do come Over up. Over time, yes. As I understand that if a woman is on some kind of hormonal therapy, she shouldn't take saw palmetto that's in Nutrafol. Would you say that's not a concern or you would say it should be a consideration for any woman to talk to her doctor about just to be sure? I always say talk to your doctor if you're definitely, if you have any medical conditions, if you're taking any medications, I always say talk to the doctor because that's just really where you want to want to make those decisions with. And we're not putting warnings in our labels or anything like that because there's no data to 
support that. However, again, that's a very personal decision with a physician. Sounds like a great product. There are just certain ingredients where it's just unclear in the gray area as to whether high doses over time should be a concern or not. Just curious what your take is on it. And it sounds like people should just consult with their physicians just to make sure that if they have any existing conditions or pre-existing conditions that the doctors don't have any concerns. Like, for example, I had heard that MECA may affect thyroid functioning. Do you believe there are any real concern tied to that? I just started seeing a naturopathic doctor for a thyroid issue that I have, and she told me to take MECA. Definitely like <laughs> an anti-aging so, ingredient. Again, I think that it, with any kind of medical issue, I would say it's important to speak to your doctor about it. That being said, I have personally been taking maca and I have a thyroid issue. I think with everything, maca is a, a fantastic adaptogen, by the way, and most likely, I actually don't know of a direct effect on thyroid, but I've not looked into that. What I do know is that it supports both the adrenal axis as well as the the nodal axis, so it goes to the ovaries and it also goes to the adrenals. If there's a support for the adrenals, usually that has a positive effect on thyroid, a way that it's connected. I would take it, but I think it depends on what thyroid issue you have, and I think it depends on what your situation particularly is. Are you still taking Nutrafol? Yes. How long have you been on it? I've been on it since the beginning. (laughs) I'm not going to lie and say that I have not had periods of time when I'm lazy and I, I don't want to consistent. But generally speaking, I've been pretty good. And sometimes I'm not, <laughs> but most of the time I am. And do you take any wellness tests just to see how your body is reacting to it and that your vitals are fine? Because I find that a lot of people take the supplements without really knowing what it's doing to their body. The question is, do you feel that it's important to make sure that the supplements are doing what they're supposed to be doing for your body and take wellness tests like on your annual basis? Interesting question. I think that you see the effect of the supplements based on how you feel and what shows up in your hair. That's what I do personally, right? Now, some people, they really want to optimize their body so they go to an integrated specialist. Usually a regular doctor will not perform any of these tests for you. But as long as you're in, you know, I think they kind of do the basics. But if you really want to dive deep, I don't do it specifically to see the effect of any particular supplement I take unless I have a nutritional deficiency that is really latent. But other than that, I would recommend people look at how they feel and what their hair looks like. Like, is there an effect? Like, for instance, one of the first things that you start to see is a decrease in shedding. That's what I would be looking forward to as an effect on the body. Do you plan to do long-term studies? We are, by virtue of the fact that we have a twofold business is where we sell direct to consumer and there's also the physician part. We consistently have feedback from doctors who have long-term patients. Unfortunately, doing long-term clinical studies by us specifically would be very challenging because most people do not agree to being in a study for a huge long period of time. The way that we look at that is by having customers that have been around for like since we started. Those people are still on it and they're like actively still on it as well as those patients of our doctors who are very willing and open to give us feedback and have conversations with us. Well, I appreciate how you and your co-founders have innovated on a 
challenge that was dear to them and saying, hey, we're going to solve this naturally and with supplements and see where we can go with this. I appreciate you sharing your expertise on hair loss and joining me on Spark today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a really fun to be on here.